Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Idaho's Governor Brad Little went out of town to attend the Republican Governors Association Spring Conference. And the way that it works in Idaho is that if the governor is physically out of the state, the lieutenant governor gets all the privileges and all the powers of governor, and they are acting governor for however long that period of time is. So Brad Little is at this conference, and he gets a call that the lieutenant governor has filed an executive order. That order, which you can see here, says Idahoans cannot be forced to wear a mask for, quote, the purpose of preventing or slowing the spread of a contagious disease, end quote. So she was banning mask mandates kind of across government. The interesting thing, though, is there was never an imposed mask mandate. Huh. Brad Little never mandated that any sort of city or the state or schools had to have masks. He always greatly encouraged it, but he really left it up to local government and he really left it up to individual health districts and cities and school districts to make those decisions for themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think he's even quoted in some of the local papers as his first reaction being, what what are you banning? What mask mandate are you banning? Mm -hmm. He comes home and almost immediately overturns it. He vetoes it, like, the minute he's back. In a statement, Little slammed McGeehan issuing the executive order as an irresponsible, self-serving political stunt that subverted the decisions of local officials and the people of Idaho. And this is all happening, what, just like a week after Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan announced that she's also challenging Governor Little, despite the fact that he's still in office and running for re-election? Yes, that's correct. The way that Brad Little has, quote-unquote, handled the pandemic... He decided to shut down businesses that weren't essential and people could go to church during that time. ...has angered a lot of folks who are further on the right than more moderate Republicans or traditional Republicans, even in Idaho. And that's one of the reasons that the lieutenant governor has now said that she's challenging the governor for his seat... I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Jimena Bustillo on the Idaho governor's race that's become a perfect reflection of GOP politics in the era of Trump and COVID. This is not the first time that the lieutenant governor has used her powers as governor to take her own action to kind of further what she sees is best for the state. Today it's really special because I'm actually your acting governor when we do this. So if you'll hold up your right hand and all of you please repeat after me. And a good example of this is that in 2019, Brad Little was also out of town temporarily and she administered an oath which is usually taken to and, and presented from the Idaho National Guard. I, I do solemnly swear to members of an armed, real three percenters of Idaho group, um, which is considered a militia group within the state. So help me God. So help me God. And so she did that as acting governor. And a lot of folks thought that that was a little strange. 
Idaho Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan is now the target of criticism for posting a picture on Facebook with members of a group called the Idaho Three Percenters. Take a look. This is the picture. Some say the two men pictured with the Lieutenant Governor are showing a white nationalist hand gesture. Others say that is not the case and that the picture is being taken completely out of context. She's definitely way more on, on the conservative side. Um, she has always opposed Brad Little's attempts to do any sort of stay-at-home order or restrictions for COVID. Anybody questions what's happening today, then we're all branded as being extreme and heretic. I've yeah. been challenged yeah. of being, you know, why are you the lieutenant governor not supporting the governor? Um, well, first of all, I'm a duly elected constitutional officer, yes. elected by the people of Idaho. I report to the people of Idaho. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the governor and I agree on everything. And when we do disagree, I will speak my mind. And again, the way that Brad Little again handled it was very light hand, often very left up to individual counties, cities. The biggest turning point, I think, was when he mandated a stay-at-home order that only really lasted, I want to say, about a month. It wasn't as long as it was in other states, including other Republican states. But that idea of your personal liberties being taken away, your ability to not go to church or your ability to not go to work and not run your business really hit home for a lot of folks, especially in the smaller towns, in the less densely populated areas. Um, they felt like something had been taken away from them. Idahoans have witnessed serious, egregious violations over this past year. Yes! Janice McGeehan, who's our lieutenant governor, has capitalized on that because she believes it too. And she is able to kind of make the case that she is more conservative. She is more Republican than Brad Little because she would never have done that. She would have never made those calls during the pandemic. Governor, you say? Well, why not, says Ammon Bundy, an anti-government activist who apparently would like to be the face of that government presumably from a better seat in the state house. He filed his paperwork for that position today as well. Bundy, so one of the third remember, candidates is the infamous Ammon Bundy. We can confirm Ammon Bundy is in federal custody now, along with a number of other arrests. It happened, we're told, off-site of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge, uh, and that is the place where Ammon Bundy and his group went in and took over occupation on January 2nd. They've been there to protest. Ammon Bundy is probably most famously known for the standoff that he had in 2016 with federal agents in Oregon. He also has spent the last couple years living in Idaho. And over the last year, he has also continued to kind of exhibit that same anti-government really demanding the hands-off approach to the pandemic. Now at four, here we go again. Political activist Ammon Bundy, arrested for the second time in less than 24 hours by Idaho State Police during today's special session. He zip-tied himself to an office chair at the state capitol, and the Idaho State Police needed to wheel him out and kind of carry him out 
But demonstrators that, you know, were there with him, they smashed a doorway window pane in the house gallery. They really pushed themselves into that space. Um, and, you know, it, it created questions of security. It created a very tense situation. Like, you, you would have never seen that happen really before. Like, we've, we've always had protests at the Capitol and demonstrations at the Capitol, but never, never something fully to that degree. The GOP has already disavowed Bundy, and a lot of groups already know that he is a lot more radical. So I don't know that he's going to get very far, even if he does have a support base that is willing to go and and protest at buildings with him. When it comes to McGeehan and Little, I don't really know. I mean, the way that COVID really challenged what public officials should be doing or how they should be acting or what regulations they are allowed to put on really made a lot of folks question that, whether they agreed with it or not. And a lot of the folks that we spoke to for this story agree that the infighting, at least within Idaho, is is going a little too far. Bringing this kind of a little bit to a national level, some folks have said that this does highlight a little bit of the push and pull identity crisis that the Republican Party is kind of going through. And this has been building up for years. This is not new. This isn't necessarily even Trump induced. Like this, this has been happening and existing for some time. The interesting thing, though, is a lot of folks will also say that In states like Idaho, where there is a Republican majority, and I'm sure this happens in states where there's also a Democratic majority, you know, they don't really need to worry about the other political party, which means the only race that really matters for them are these primaries. And in Idaho, you you have to prove that you are the most conservative. You have to prove that you are the most Republican out of a lineup of Republicans. (laughs) So in order to win the general election, you really just have to win the primary. And, you know, how do you prove that? What is the bright line? And those are the limitations that are being tested right now. Jimena Bastillo, thanks so much for sharing your reporting on this with me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Jimena Bastillo authors the weekly agriculture newsletter. You can subscribe to that at politico.com slash newsletters. Also today, the Labor Department has issued new emergency workplace safety rules requiring healthcare employers to provide masks, physical barriers, social distancing, and proper ventilation to ensure their employees are protected from coronavirus. The new rule is much narrower than unions wanted and businesses feared and only applies to healthcare settings, including hospitals, nursing homes, and assisted living facilities. The department also updated its optional COVID safety guidelines for all other workplaces and urges employers to provide masks to unvaccinated or at-risk workers and to allow for social distancing, but also notes that, quote, most employers no longer need to take steps to protect their workers from COVID-19 exposure if all of their employees are fully vaccinated. And 
Universities in the U.S. are gearing up to have international students come back to their campuses for in-person learning this fall. According to a new survey of more than 400 colleges from the Institute of International Education, 90% of schools say they're planning to offer in-person classes to new international students. The survey says about 43% of schools also reported an increase in their international applications for the coming school year, which is almost double the increase reported a year ago. Still, colleges are cautiously preparing for visa backlogs and travel restrictions that could sideline some of their students. Today's episode included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Politico Dispatch team includes senior producer Jenny Ament, executive producer Irene Noguchi, and senior audio editor Raghu Manavalan, who's also the new host of the Playbook Daily Briefing, a quick breakdown of what's going on with DC Insiders. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.